Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 130 unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew. Hello. And my husband Dylan's the sound recordist. Hello. Um, hi guys, how's it going? Good, yeah. What's up with you? We ever just talk anymore. What's up? I know, what's <laughs> up? Um, let's see. I have to go back to the office next week, which is oh. really weird. Um, I don't know if any pages out there are experiencing this, but yeah, we're going to go back to four days a week in the office. Well, at least you'll not have like a commute that you can use to knock out some of these books. True. It's that true. is true. It's just weird. It's like last time I was in the office, I was like five months pregnant and now we have an <laughs> almost two-year-old child. <laughs> I know. Now you're negative 19 months pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of apprehensive about going back to the office. I don't know. I'm feeling a little weird. I'm feeling like it'll be good to be professional and like in a work environment and like be distanced from my daughter who runs in saying like, mama, 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 and pointing to a book that she ripped and wanting me to fix it. But <laughs> yeah, she Maggie's been doing this thing where like, so for example, she has this book that like you press it and it makes a, a music. And the other day it wouldn't work, I assume, because it was like, you know, it's been pressed too many times. And I was like, I can't fix it. And Maggie just goes, Dada. I'm like, Dada, I can't fix it either. She's like, Dada. And she ran towards Dylan. How dare you? <laughs> so, and Dylan, how did you make this right? I wasn't even I, I wasn't even here when this was happening. It was like one of those late night wake ups where she wanted to wake Dylan up to fix it. And then I, I distracted her quickly. But she's mm-hmm. convinced that you know how to fix the books, Dylan. I do not know how to fix books. I've explained this to her ad nauseum. <laughs> Speaking of ad nauseum or nauseating Andrew I hear you recently had a culinary experience uh, related to one of our previous books <laughs> well okay I like that you said I hear you had this as though I didn't tell you all the text message <laughs> I heard wasn't just going... the wind I heard from some little yeah, bir- like a bird somewhere the paparazzi caught me doing it or something <laughs> I heard from the text you sent me <laughs> uh, yes no um so I know we still have to do this with Bailey because she lost the game on the Pizza Girl episode, uh, but I tried a pepperoni and pickle pizza last Ooh. week, mm. and I can report, pretty good. Ooh. Nice. Yeah. Were the pizza people at all surprised <laughs> by your order? Okay. Yeah. Well, so some, some background. I okay. was trying to hold off until we did this together as an activity, but Flinger's Pizza in Bloomington, Illinois had in the... like. Make your pizza options pickles as like a prominent option, <gasps> and I and I couldn't say no. So it's a thing that they do. So I don't think they had any you know uh, recourse about it. Gosh. And I feel like an important part of being a pizza person because <laughs> I ordered pickup and had to pick it up, and he did he did read the order back to me. Is you can't be judgy about the order, or else people yeah. will be sad and not come there again. Because if someone was like you ordered a triple meat pizza with extra triple meat <laughs> and you like look at them like they're a dirty monster. They're not coming back to, to that pizza joint. So he took it in stride. If he was surprised, I wouldn't know. Um, but yes, it was it was from their menu that I decided to do this versus really being inspired to, to make them do it for me. I often get pizza with like jalapenos on it, like the pickled jalapenos, and that it's a similar experience except less spicy. I do love mm. pickled jalapenos on a pizza. So I'm, well, I'm, I'm intrigued. Just imagine that, but... Uh, you know, your, stan- your standard lovely dill pickle. Did you form an emotional connection with a delivery person? <laughs> uh, no, not... They, well, a, it was pickup, so no. <laughs> um, <laughs> B, but he was very nice. 
who's a very nice man, but I know he did not, not to spoil anything, he didn't, it didn't go beyond that. He was very understanding of your existential crisis. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, Bookstagram has been going crazy with some news. Have you guys heard about the Ashley Tisdale news? No. Is that Sharpay? That's Sharpay from High School Musical. Us olds okay. will remember. Um, <laughs> uh, so Ashley Tisdale did a like a tour of her home that she decorated, and she showed off her bookcase, which is like a built-in bookcase. But she's like, they were asking about the books, and she said, "Oh, I just gave my husband four hundred dollars to go buy some random books just to fill the shelves." <laughs> and oh. Bookstagram is going crazy. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that was who that was. I did see this. My favorite thing was the screenshot that one of them was just like the almanac from two thousand. <laughs> <laughs> There's like three copies of the Guinness Book of World Records, 2001. <laughs> hmm. It seems like someone needs to force her to read all the books from the shelf. Ooh. Oh. Wait, Dylan, you said and that... And here's our guest, Sharpay. <laughs> <laughs> you said that somebody, that she had a good reaction. Oh, yeah, wait, because, yeah, I was looking at her Twitter, and she, she's been taking this really well, like, in jest, but, like, one thing she said was, uh, I'm going to try to read through all your Twitter replies, but I have a lot of books to read right now, so give me some time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Uh, I, I know people do sell books like by the yard and you can get them like yeah. to decorate. Yeah. And to be fair, for our wedding, we had centerpieces with colored books and we just went, you know, to Goodwill and just got books. And then but then we gave them back so other people could buy them. But there's something about having them on display in your home all the time. Maybe it's just me yeah. because whenever I see a bookshelf, I immediately go to it. And I'm like, oh, did you like this one? Did you like this one? Did you like this mm-hmm. one? Um, Bailey's really fun. Am I fun at parties? That's my sentence. That's why Billy's not invited to Ashley Tisdale's house. Oh, this just reminds me. The other day at the bookstore, not that I went to the bookstore, there was a man what? who was buying to Paradise. And I was like, oh, I just read that. And he's like, oh, is it worth the buy? And he was literally like about to exchange his card <gasps> with the teller. And the teller like looked at me and I was like, yes. And like, <laughs> I think ultimately it was, but I'm afraid that this random man is going to be like, I have mixed feelings on this book. Billy, you had the perfect time to plug the podcast and you didn't. You could have said it's like, is it worth the time? Well, well. do you have 48 minutes? <laughs> I, I just, I was like, don't cost them this sale. They will hate you. I'm trying to be their friend. Was the person behind the till this same woman that you've been trying to impress no, and become this, friends with? this is the ornery man who um, I said <laughs> that I went to college with an author and he's like, oh no, I'm really good friends with her. And I'm like, okay, I'll just go over here. bookstores transitions to a good topic did you guys have any shame any new books i do have some shame actually toby you're out of control get out of here i know um i have some shame that i acquired mere hours before this podcast um yeah i um i i had an event that i me and my wife were going to go to and we got the wrong time so we ended up just wandering around downtown arcada california and went to the used bookstore and got two books um one of them was joyce carol oates it's called a blood's more romance Um, It is huge. It is like her weirdo take on like romantic novels of the 19th century. Um, They're supposed to be like mysterious men in big black balloons that come and kidnap people and like mind reading and stuff. Sounds great. Is there a room that you're not allowed to go in if you're married to the Bloodsmore person? 
Um, if there's not, I'm going to write Joyce Carol Oates a letter. Okay, good. And it's going to be nice and complimentary because I love her work. Feels like every morning Joyce Carol Oates just pulls like a category out of a hat of like, a genre of book. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, well, I'm going to knock one of those out now. <laughs> Maybe she's doing a bingo exactly. card. <laughs> and what's your other book? Is it the 2002 Almanac? Um, no, not quite. It's a little bit slimmer. Um, it is... A Guide to Natural Swimming Holes in the Ear River Valley and Mad River Wilderness by Elizabeth A. Whitley. You have that's, to, that's, that's your next book. You have Done. to read it for the yeah. podcast. <laughs> uh, please. I think it's about 12 pages. So, yes, I will. <laughs> More of a pamphlet than, uh, than a book. But I'm actually really excited about that. My wife and I already have already looked through it a couple times. And we have some plans. Andrew, do you have any swimming hole related shame? I have no swimming hole related shame, nor do I have any shame whatsoever. I live pure, unlike you filthies. Well, I mean, you did have pickled pizza. True. My body is not pure, but my mind. (laughs) Well, I have a little bit of shame, which... So Dylan's mom walked in the room and handed me A Deadly Class, the book that Toby recommended to me. (laughs) And she's like... A Deadly Education. Deadly Education. She's like, you don't have to say this on the podcast. You can keep it off the books, but I think you should read the book. But I just thought it was too funny. So technically, that is a book that I've acquired. Perfect. Speaking of books and schools, Andrew, I heard Mm. that you read a book that I read in school. <laughs> yeah, Ooh, what a tenuous nice. transition. Nice. <laughs> oh, it was a great connection. Um, Andrew, what book did you read this week? I read Persepolis by Marjan Satrapi. Yay. Y'all want to hear about it? Yeah. Yes, please. All right, let's talk about it. So here's my little uh, amuse bouche. <laughs> Marjan Satrapi's Persepolis is an intimate and epic graphic memoir which tells the story of the Iranian Revolution and its cascading effects through the eyes of its author and her friends and family. Using her unique lens, she was a child before and during the revolution, as well as spending time away from Iran, and mesmerizing drawing style and masterful mix of humor and pain, Satrapi presents her life to us and in doing so shows us a country that few of us know more about than what's shown on the news. Nice. Good. Nice. Good summary. Did that in one take, Pedro's. Keep nice. that in, Toby. <laughs> um, Andrew, um, for context, have you read, I'm sorry, have you seen the film as well? I have or- not seen the film, though I look forward to seeing it now. I had always been waiting to watch the, the film until after I read the book. Gotcha, gotcha. I, I too have read this um, graphic novel, but I have not seen the film. I saw the film before reading the book. <laughs> My mommy. <laughs> My mommy went to Smith. so yeah for a little more context so this is a a novel a graphic memoir that i'm sure a lot of people have seen before um it has a very um interesting drawing style which i'll talk about a little later on which sort of makes it stand out in my mind from a bunch of other ones that i've read and it's about the author marjan satrapi who grew up in iran Um, She was a child before the revolution, so she lived life in sort of a a much more open society. And then after the fundamentalist uh, regime took over, she grew up from a pretty young age under, you know, their extreme rule. And then and her family the entire time very much was counter to that. So that's the perspective she's coming in from. And so you get to see her grow up see what it's like bucking against that as uh, someone who's encouraged to express themselves as a as a person and as a woman in a society where that's not permitted and that is even you know stamped out with extreme extreme aggression but it's it was really fascinating to see that context with while the whole time having a family that was like really encouraging her to to be her own person uh and not like 
bend to anyone's will. And so you get to see her grow up. Uh, she leaves Iran for a bit and studies in, in Europe, in, in Vienna. And she meets a lot of people, has relationships that start, end, and you have a, it's very much sort of hyper-focused on her and her family and sort of the um, search for belonging when the place that you truly belong disappeared a long time ago, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. And when, yeah. when I read it initially, it was like two parts. It was like the childhood and then the living abroad. Is it like that in the the big book? So that's a good point. They don't really... If there is a firm distinction between the two, uh-huh. it's not called out in the copy that I read because the copy I have is called The Complete Persepolis, which is, yeah, the two parts united. Mm-hmm. There's like one page that's blank. I'm guessing that's the middle point, but it doesn't like call it out. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So, and I'll talk about that a little bit in my review that those there's a, a, a kind of a difference in, in feeling between the two of those, of those sections. Mm-hmm. So with that context, let's go on an elf and orc rampage. Elf, orc, elf, orc, they're coming. They're coming from the hills. (laughs) I'm going to tip my hand a little bit. I really like this book. Um, Ah, And I'll talk about why now. Oh, I'm curious to know what you guys think because you've you've both read it. Has Dylan read it? Uh, Yes. Everyone's read the book. But I read it like a while ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. I read it in French first and then in English, so. Ooh. All right, so Bailey's a nerd, but everyone's read the book. That's great. Um, I actually read both of these books in either like high school or early college. So it's like, there's a really weird blast from the past. And now in retrospect, I should have reread these books for the podcast. Eh, Andrew will tell us all about it. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't about you. It's about me, Dylan. This is my <laughs> party. Alluded to this already, but it has a really distinct visual style, which I thought was wonderful. It's done in all black and white, and it's done in a way that is like black based. So the lines are often uh, white and like, so, like it's often, well, it switches between it a little bit, but it's often like a black base with white lines mm-hmm. or it's like using that contrast a fair amount. Yeah. So it, it goes between those two styles of um, having a black base and then a sort of more standard just ink on on, on white background, uh, which is particularly striking in Iran when the women are wearing their veils because they become this huge, these huge blocks of black with just mm-hmm. their faces showing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a really strong choice, especially for the subject matter that she's, she's drawing. And in general, that sort of simplicity to it makes it really powerful because small changes really pop because there's not so many details. It's not like everything is drawn out, you know, anatomically correct, perfectly done. Um, so like tiny changes in expression tell a huge story in the book. I, there's a fair amount of, you know, dead bodies in this book that you see. And she just, to distinguish that, she just makes them slightly frown and gives them a bag under their eyes and you know from the first time you see it that that means that that person is now dead Mm -hmm. and it's like such a simple way of storytelling that's really effective and creates a kind of baseline understanding for you for the book which i thought was really cool and not wasn't really something i've seen a lot of i've read a fair amount of graphic novels and and graphic memoirs but i don't know that i've seen one that like created a visual language the only thing i can really think of is some of the bechdel books where she uses um one color as like this is what i'm playing with for this book Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh sort of a, a similar in that but I thought this was even more effective because it was basically creating something from the ground up for you. Yeah, and not to, you know, harp on the film, but they echo the same style in the film, which I think they did they hmm. translated it really well. Nice. Well, I look forward to seeing it. So yeah, huge fan of of the drawing style 
and of and of the visual language created. And then another thing that I liked that I wasn't expect that I wasn't necessarily expecting was there's a lot of humor in the book, both literally in the sense that sometimes there's like humorous anecdotes that go on, but also like in the way she presents her stories there's like breaking of the fourth wall you like she cuts to like i'm explaining this like i'm a newscaster or like a cutaway in like i don't know a family guy episode sometimes yeah. to mm-hmm. that extent and in like tiny subversions of, of convention it's like the way i can best describe it is it's not afraid to not be like anything else mm. yeah uh from again from the research um it's amazing to think that this is her first graphic novel it very much felt to me when i was reading it like oh this is a culmination this woman has been has been developing these style for years but that's not the case it's her first first one yeah that's nuts another thing that falls into the the elf category is it balances complicated ideas well while not compromising on what her and her family clearly believe so like there's a perspective to it. There's a perspective that I think most of the readers would agree with as well, I should say. I'm not trying to say that they're making any argument that I don't think is, is correct. I think it's absolutely correct. But um, it does present context and different sides to things in ways that are helpful because I feel like we're not taught about that in this country. We just think of this as over there and, and we don't get as much of the, the background information about what happened during the, the revolution there and what the background of why it happened and what we did to do it. And you can look that that information is available, but you have to look for it yourself. It's not like something that we talk about a lot. So mm-hmm. I liked that aspect of it quite a bit. And overall, it, it's there's heavy aspects, there's beautiful aspects to it, but it, it's uh, overall, it it's, was fun to read. Like it was overall, it was a joy. It was a joy to read this book. <laughs> and I feel that way often with, with graphic novels, but I feel like I was reading something that was meaty and powerful, but I didn't feel like I was at any point really like slogging it didn't feel so like an assigned cool. reading. Right, exactly. Yeah. Which for the subject matter, I think is especially impressive, honestly. Exactly, exactly. But yeah, so those are those are sort of my elves. I'm gonna move to my orcs, but my orcs, as you can maybe tell, are a little minor this week. Just a baby orc. Just a little baby, little, little gerblins running <laughs> in the hills. I have two and they're sort of related, but there were sometimes that I wished for like a little more or like a little more context. Some things move like really fast and it could be a symptom of this is her life. So she knows everything about it. So she maybe leaves out some context that I feel like a reader would be like, oh, but wait, I wish I knew a little bit more about this aspect of your family or how these people related to you. Things like mm-hmm. that, it, which is understandable. But I did find myself sort of sometimes it moves really quickly. And sometimes I felt like I was getting a little bumped around. Mm-hmm. And then... I think this is, and this is sort of related because that first note applies more to the second half of the book. I did, while I still really like the second half of the book, I think I had a clear preference for the childhood section, which would have been published separately as Persepolis 1. I was going to say, Andrew, like I have very few memories of this book, except for that I liked the first part better than the second part. <laughs> I don't know why. They're both good. Yeah. I mean, the first part, it's about her childhood. It has more like whimsy to it because it, even though it's dealing with really heavy subjects, she has this like crutch of having a child's understanding of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And she plays with that a lot. Whereas as she gets older, she's dealing with things and is representing a character that has the tools to engage with them. Yeah. So mm-hmm. she loses that, not crutch, crutch is the wrong word, but she u- loses that sort of tool in her tool belt. And I feel like that slows it down slightly. But I mean, that's minor. It's still it's still really cool. And it never loses its, its funny side to things. 
But if you can't tell, I really did like this book. Um, and I'm going to give it five stars. I bordered Ooh. on four for a bit. Ooh, but nice. I do think that it's something that it's going to stick with me and I'm going to maybe revisit it. And it's going to be something that I think of fondly. So I'm bumping it up to five. Uh, I look forward to checking out the film version. And yeah, thank awesome. you for pulling it, Dylan. <laughs> I thought you were going to say thank you for listening to my review. Don't, <laughs> don't thank me. Thank the choosing. That's right. That's right. Um, I only speak for it. I don't control it. I look. I looked on Goodreads <laughs> to see what 2008 Bailey thought of it, and she gave it four stars. Oh. Ooh. So. Okay. But I did the really pretentious thing, which is um, review the the two different editions in French versus the English one, even oh. though I definitely uh. <laughs> read oh. 2008 Bailey. I know. Uh, do you remember what you thought of it, Toby? Yeah, I think I'd probably come down on a four star. Um, like this is, I, I think, over 10 years ago that I re- uh, read it. But yeah, remember really enjoying it, it moving really quickly. Um, and I think same thing as Andrew. I think maybe the second half dragged a little bit for me. Um, but yeah, overall, recommend it. I think I've given this book to people and definitely recommended it to people. Mm-hmm. I've assigned it to students. Dylan, what were your stars? Ooh, I don't know how many stars. I give it I give it five stars. I uh, Yeah, it's like the thing where it's like, I don't remember anything bad about it, so thus, <laughs> therefore, it's carved out <laughs> five stars in my mind. Awesome. Well, thank you for that beautiful review, Andrew. Five-star review. Toby, hey, you're do, you have, do you have any facts on Marjan Satrapi? I do, I do. So Marjan Satrapi was born on November 22nd, 1969. She is a graphic novelist, cartoonist, illustrator, film director, and children's book author. Her best-known works include the graphic novel Persepolis, which we've discussed here, and its film adaptation, the graphic novel Chicken with Plums, and the Marie Curie biopic Radioactive. Yeah. Radioactive. <laughs> yes, Rosamund that one. Pike. Rose- is it Rosamund <laughs> I'm pretty Pike? sure Imagine Dragons was talking about Rosamund Pike. <laughs> Yeah, before that movie even came out. That she also directed a film called The Voices about Ryan Reynolds murdering people, and then the, the heads talking to him. Yeah. Anyway, continue, Toby. <laughs> Thank you. Um, no further questions. <laughs> yeah. uh, Satrapi became famous worldwide um, because of the autobiographical Persepolis. It was originally published in French in four parts and an English translation in two parts in 2003 and 2004. Mm-hmm. Comics Alliance uh, listed Satrapi as one of 12 women cartoonists deserving of lifetime achievement recognition. She has said that she prefers the term comic books to graphic novels. Quote, people are so afraid to say the word comic. Um, she's done this to the Guardian newspaper in 2011. It makes you think of a grown man with pimples, a ponytail, and a big belly. Change it to graphic novel, and that disappears. No, it's all comics. Hmm. I thought that was interesting because I've often wondered if there was any real distinction besides like pretentiousness between calling things graphic novels and comics. In my head, it was that comic books could go on forever. Like the <laughs> like the Flash could just keep going. Like serialized. Yeah, yeah, but like a graphic novel has an end in mind. But that was a hmm. weird thing that I made up in my head that I don't know if it's a real thing. Weirdly, wow. I feel like I thought the same thing, Bailey. So maybe you told me this. Okay, well, it's what I <laughs> say. Bailey's been spreading that. <laughs> spreading that as truth. So Persepolis, as we discussed, was adapted into an animated film with the same name. Debuted at the 2000 Cannes Film Festival. Um, it shared a special jury prize with Carlos Regatta's Silent Light. The English version of the movie was nominated for Best Animated Feature at the Academy Awards in January 2008. Uh, at the time, Satrapi was the first woman to be nominated for the award. 
and that's best animated feature. That's pretty crazy. So I didn't pull too much biography because Andrew's covered a lot of it. Hey, that um, makes sense. So I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm going to do, I'm going to pull some stuff uh, from an interview with asiasociety.org. Uh, the interviewer here is Nermeen Sheikh. Nermeen asks, how did you come to be interested in the form of the graphic novel? Are there other authors working in the same genre from whom you take your inspiration? And you know what? Surprisingly, she doesn't tell him that she would prefer it be called a comic book. I was going to say she responds, comic book, get out of here. <laughs> she says, no, to tell you the truth, that was just a coincidence. I was not really a comic reader at all. In Iran, there really isn't a culture for this sort of thing. Although, of course, there are illustrations and comic strips, but never a whole book of just comics. So I'd never read any such thing. In my childhood, it was just Tintin, but I thought always that Tintin was extremely boring. So I was not interested in reading that. When I came to Paris, it was by coincidence that I found a place in a studio unit with a couple of artists. I wanted the place since it is just impossible to sit at your home and work. So I went there and all these people were cartoonists and they were telling me about comics and encouraging me to try making cartoons as well. They said it's a very long procedure making comics. You have to draw all these frames. Everyone has to look the same from one frame to the next. And it's a whole mess to be able to make nice comics actually. But I didn't want to do that because I didn't think I had the patience to wait eight, nine months or a year before I can say a book is finished. I always thought the image and the text, writing and imaging, that there is no separation between them. For me, thinking with images is extremely normal. Then I discovered what comics were, and actually the fact that this was really the medium that fit me the best, because I love to write and I love to draw, and so it really was the best for me. From the second I made the first page, I knew this is what I should be doing. I just love that the, I'm imagining that there's some white dudes in this house <laughs> and they're just mansplaining like you know comics are really hard they take a really long time and then she's like okay <laughs> this is my first one <laughs> look what i mean and i killed it <laughs> nailed it the interviewer asks when you start drawing and writing do you have an audience in mind in either iran or france or elsewhere and i thought this answer was interesting both because of what she says and in contrast to a certain recent author we've had on here <laughs> who claims that she writes for no one Satrapi says, no, I don't care, really. I do care wh when the book is published, because as you may have noticed, the, in the word publish, you have the word public. So once the book is out there, then of course I'm interested to know if people like it or if they don't like it. It's normal. Of course, I don't write only for myself. Everybody who pretends that they write for themselves is just BSing. Except she didn't say BSing. <laughs> oh, what did she it say? Oh, you can't tell us? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't exist. Of course, writing something is extremely narcissistic. You want to be loved and everyone has to read you and they have to applaud you and they have to pay for your book and all that. But at the time I'm writing and drawing, it's not really for an audience. I think mostly when I make jokes, for example, I think about one friend and I say to myself, if I make this joke, I will make them laugh. That's nice. I like that. Is publish and public the same base word? I don't, I don't know. She said that so fast and confidently. I was like, oh, yeah, of course they are. It's like, wait, they just both happen to start with pub? Unsure. Yeah, I mean, pub comes from publia, which is a Latin root. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Got Take, down, thank down. you, Frank, my Latin teacher in high school. <laughs> thank you, Frank, my Latin teacher in high school, and I didn't pay attention as much. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's my research on Marjan Satrapi. Thanks, Toby. Excellent, Toby. That is Persepolis by Marjan Satrapi. Five stars. And this is Bailey's review of her book. <laughs> Good transition, Toby. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's better I mean, than the one I was going to try to do. <laughs> Let's hear yours, Andrew. Let's just hear. Well, we just talked about chicken with plums. What about <laughs> owl with plums? <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. That's so much better. We're going to say, I heard there was someone who read a new book. Ooh, I ooh. hope it was a hoot, Bailey. <laughs> mm. 
Oh, no. <laughs> Please vomit the desiccated skeleton of the book that you read out onto our ears. Did anybody else have to dissect owl pellets at school? Yeah. Yes, yeah. we did. That's I mean, weird. yes, I did. How'd they get I don't know why on I said them? we there. I remember I got so excited because I found a full, like, people were finding bits of mice in uh-huh. their pellets, but I found, like, the full skeleton. Like, so it was made the thing. I was pretty big deal in that <laughs> seventh grade biology class. Seventh grade? It was like third grade for me. Yeah, it was what? third grade for us. Yeah. yeah. Take it away, Bailey. They didn't, they didn't think that Dylan uh, was ready for that one, so they, they, you Guys, know, they put was him in a special classroom. <laughs> and then somebody slipped you the one with the big skeleton. Yeah. They're like, Guys, if we don't give Dylan a pellet with a full mouth in it, he's going to freak out. <laughs> okay, anyway, I read a book. I, I read a book <laughs> called Hoot. By Carl Hyacin. Um, hoot, hoot, hoot. Hoot, hoot, hoot. So I'm going to tell you about what this book is, and then I'm going to tell you about how it came across my shelf. Hoot is a middle grade novel starring a young boy, a middle school boy named Roy Eberhardt, who moves from Montana mm. to Florida because his dad works in an unnamed government agency that's never named. He doesn't really like Florida until he sees this boy running with barefoot and he's like what is that guy run he's he's roy is in the bus and he looks out the window and this boy runs by barefoot and he's like what's that and so for half the book he tries to find this boy he oh, finds wow. he finds the boy and then comes to learn that the boy is connected to some pranks that have been happening at the site where they're about to build it like an IHOP, but they call it like a Mother Paula's House of Pancakes. Um, mm-hmm. There's been pranks going on there, and wouldn't you know it, it's connected to the boy with no shoes. And it turns out that he is trying to protect a collection of burrowing owls um, who live at the site. What's the name for a collection of owls? A murder of a owls. Party. A parliament. Really? They're called a parliament. Uh, they are called a parliament of owls. Ah, oh, that's even better. Okay. So he and this kid, who he, the kid won't give him his real name, so he says his name is Mullet Fingers. I'll hold wow. for any questions on that. <laughs> uh, I mean, call me Mullet Fingers. No. Can I please not? Because he can catch the fish mullet with his fingers, but I just keep picturing like the hair mullet on his fingers. Yeah. Yeah. Like anyway. If you have really hairy knuckles. Yeah. So he works with this kid, and they they set out to save the Parliament of Owls. I'm not going to say if they do. I don't know. don't want to spoil it. They do. Yeah, please don't. They do. Well, anyone else imagining, like, the, the music of Parliament every time Bailey says <laughs> that? <laughs> I was owls just, in those outfits. I was picturing, like, little wigs. Um, how, Bailey, why do you have this book on your shelf? That's weird. Let me take you back to a few years ago <laughs> when I was a teacher. And I was a big nerd. I was, past tense. And I decided... I also want to say, I don't think anyone's questioning why you have this book that people have heard of, but but please. (laughs) People want to know. They are asking me why you have this book. So when I was a big nerd, um, I was teaching in New York. And in New York City, um, students have to take this exam called the Regents exam. Um, And during that week, the teachers just sit around. And it's very boring because you just have to sit and proctor the exams. And just stare at the kids and make sure they're not cheating. It's very boring. I made up a lot of games for myself. And one of the games was I decided to go through all of the books in the school and make a catalog of what books were there and which room they were in. This is a normal... Wow, you really were a big nerd. This really is a normal thing that people do normally. 
uh, in their normal lives. And I kept noticing this book Hoot in a lot of classrooms. And I guess a lot of teachers were teaching it, as Dylan referenced. They're reading it in school. And I was like, what is this book? Is it a hoot? <laughs> and then and then cut two years later, it was at a little free library and I took it. So was that a fascinating story? It was deeply fascinating. I will say maybe it just came out at a at a more appropriate age for me. It was a book that like all my friends read. I just didn't happen to read it. So I, it wasn't like a mystery oh. to me. I thought this was incredibly popular. It was very popular. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. So this book was published in 2002. So I would have been... Oh, so you were already reading like War and Peace at that point. Yeah. You were were already reading like French books and being a huge dork. I was like 15 Uh, or 16, so I was probably like listening to Radiohead and reading Lois Duncan. I don't know what I was reading. (laughs) Uh, For a little context on like the publishing side of things, I think one of the reasons why this book was so big is that Carl Hyacin was already a multi-New York Times bestselling author um, who wrote like notoriously adult books like mm. really adult books and so to have him kind of switch to middle grade i think was a they pushed the book a lot they knew he was a success and um thought it would work that's interesting because on the back of the book there's just a bunch of different words from quotes and one it says like <laughs> offbeat hilarious original and wacky and then one is gross <laughs> why, why are you saying that it's gross it's not that gross but maybe it's his other work is gross anywho um who uh, uh, <clears throat> what did you think about this book, Bailey? I think this book was not. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you're not letting us give you the transitions, and you're like, "Well, I wish someone would give me a transition question." <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm losing my mind a little bit. It's fine. <laughs> okay. <It's> fine. <laughs> so, I thought this book was just okay. <laughs> just okay. Uh, okay. Oh no. So, all right. So here's what I think about it. Number one, it's pretty cute. Like, I like the setting of Florida. I don't know that much about Florida. Toby described being in central Florida and thinking, oh, it's very beautiful. I've never really been there besides going to, like, the beach or Disney World. So it was cool to see Florida. I like the premise of saving these burrowing owls. And I did look up YouTube videos of them, and they're very cute. So I'm all for that. I'm all for saving the owls. There's some fun shenanigans for kids. You know, there's, like... Putting some baby alligators in porta potties. I guess that's gross. Maybe that's what they mean by gross. Wait, that is gross. Wait, that's what deeply upsetting. The baby, alligator? Uh, the baby alligator was fine, apparently. In the book, okay. it's fine. No animals are harmed in the book. You're giving me spoiler. a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's good. Um, but the thing is, is the book was too long for me. It was 300 pages, which I think is too long for a middle grade book. And as I referenced in my amazing introduction, it takes halfway through the book for him to even find out that they're trying to save the owls, for him to meet this Bailey, kid. Yes. Would it surprise you to find that Carl Hyacin refuses to write with an outline? No, it would not. He, he says it would be like writing a book in handcuffs. So there you go. Well, as his editor... Years after, 20 years after he published this book, I think he could streamline that first act. Uh, So I wanted it to get faster. I didn't really care about the process of tracking down this kid. I don't care. Give me to the owls. There's an owl on the front cover. It says, Hoot, I want to know about owls. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the title title is not Young Boy Glimpsed from a Bus. Right, exactly. It's not Mullet Fingers either. I was going to say, that would have been a strong and wrong choice. (laughs) He probably turned in Mullet Fingers as the first title, and his editor said no. Like, no. Um, Is that what I said? Gross. No, Carl, that's deeply upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> um, the back of the book says it's laugh out loud funny. 
I would say it's like one or two chuckles funny. Yeah, but it doesn't fit on the cover. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, you know, I didn't really, I mean, it's a book for kids. Bailey, come on. It's a book for kids. But I think that the descriptions of women were a bit offensive. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, he he befriends a girl named Beatrice, and they call her Beatrice the Bear because she's bigger than the the boys. And he keeps being like, her hand brushed mine, her hand was bigger than mine. And I'm like, okay. Is that what they call her, Beatrice Bearfingers? And then, like, he gets in trouble with the lady principal, and he keeps talking about how she has a hair on her face, and he's like, so gross. She's so gross. I don't know. I guess it's for boys, but I didn't like it. I didn't like that part. Um, But I will give him another shout out, another elf, which is that he deals with some dark subject matter. The, The kid that is running around without shoes, it's because he has a really awful home life and he ran away and he is not going to school because he lives in the woods. And um, he talks about how his parents have gone through miscarriage and that kind of thing, which is pretty dark. So I'm questioning, like, who is the audience for this book? Like, maybe, like, a really cool sixth grader, but probably, like, an eighth grader, ninth grader. You mean, like, a really cool seventh grader that can find all the skeletons in the pellet? Yes, this this book is made for seventh grade Dylan, and that makes me really happy. So yeah, I don't know. I, I give it three stars. I give three hoots. It's okay. I mean, I could have been fine not reading it, but you know, that, that's what I think. That's my review. I think that's an amazing Dang. review. It's it it's very yeah. like that. That tells the whole story there. I would have been fine if I didn't read it. <laughs> Bailey, are you going to keep it on your shelf or not? What do you think? Mm, I feel guilty because my friend slash Pedro, Evan, was like, don't get rid of that book. You should read it. Um, uh, and now that you've read it, you're definitely going to get rid of yeah, it. Yeah, I think so. Sorry, Evan. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Have Oh, so you guys are boys. Have any of you boys... What? Have any of you boys read this book? Yes. Yes. I have not read it, but I have tried to burn down an IHOP. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I agree with basically like the Persepolis thing. Like 10 years later, it's like, yeah, it was th- this one I remember less of. Mm-hmm. It was a book. I do remember that fact. I thought the, the kids meet at like 20 pages in or something. Because that would make sense. I, yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. My yeah. no, PTSD I... with the book has, or sorry, my <laughs> like clouded memory of the book just kind of compressed it for me. Well, I have yeah, notes. I, I have almost no memory of this book whatsoever. All right, let's 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 hear some facts on Carl Hyacin, our favorite author. So, Carl Hyacin uh, was born March twelfth, nineteen fifty-three. He's an American journalist and novelist. He began his career as a newspaper reporter, and by the late nineteen seventies, he'd begun writing novels in his spare time, both for adults and for young adult readers. Two of his novels have been made into feature films. In two thousand six, the novel Hoot was adapted, and in nineteen ninety-six. His novel Striptease was what? adapted. Yes. yes. The strip yes. the striptease the striptease starring Demi Moore. Oh yeah. Bailey, do you remember this? Yes. Do you remember that we watched yes. this when I was like seven years what? old? Yes. Oh no. Yes. What? Um Yeah, I... it stars Demi Moore and Ving Rames. Yeah. Um... <laughs> I remember mom saying, like, oh, it's more of a love story. Like stripping isn't a big part of it. Or something. It is a huge part of it. Um, <laughs> Mom, we, we used to go to this lake house that one of my family's friends owned and we would like borrow it for two weeks. And there was this place where we could rent movies and mom wanted to watch that movie. So she rented it and was like, this is the movie we have. So we're all watching. 
we would get a different movie a night. Also, Burt Reynolds is in it. And yep. He like covers himself in salad dressing. It's a whole thing. All I remember is the cover where she's naked, but like folded in a way where you can't see it see anything yeah i was gonna say pam there's just no excuse for this one she's like (laughs) naked on the front of it well that's amazing toby if you find no if you found no other facts that's all you needed (laughs) so wait so he wrote the novel striptease yes and then okay i didn't know it was was based on a novel (laughs) i mean i'm sure there's even more salad dressing in the novel (laughs) i wonder if the back of it said gross (laughs) He was a reporter at Today for two years before being hired in 1976 by the Miami Herald, where he worked for the City Desk Sunday Magazine and the award-winning investigative team. He was a columnist for the newspaper from mid-1985 until he retired in March 2021. Oh. Uh, after becoming a reporter, Hyacin began writing novels in his spare time. The first three were co-authored with his friend and fellow journalist, William Montalbo, Powder Burn, Trapline, and A Death in China. His first solo novel, Tourist Season, in 1986, featured a group of ragged eco-warriors who kidnapped the Orange Bowl Queen in Miami. <gasps> Sounds so kind of similar to I, I was going to say, are they led yeah, by yeah, the questions. <laughs> There's similar, yeah, similar themes of Florida and eco stuff in a lot of his stuff. Mm. In all, 20 of Hyacinth's novels and nonfiction books have been on the New York Times bestseller list. He's been translated into 34 languages. In addition to being a prolific writer, Hyacinth is also a talented fly fisherman. His fishing career includes six wins of the prestigious Invitational Fall Fly Bonefish Tournament in Islamadora, fishing with a famed guide, Tim Klein. Wait, the Tim Klein? (laughs) The Tim Klein. Make of that what you will. So the rest of this is excerpts from an interview with Strand Magazine. In 2013, the interviewer is <laughs> credited as Strand Staff. So <laughs> I feel like someone did this interview and they're just not telling us who it was. <laughs> uh, the interviewer asks, we all know about the several challenges of writing. What a weird way to say that. But what are some of the challenges you face with a YA book? And Hyacinth answers, kids are a sharp audience. And if you're writing humor, it had better be dead on funny. They love the irreverence of satire, skewering phonies, poking fun at pompous adults. Well, I I will. They I'll, do love I'll, that. I'll give they them. They do an, love that. I'll give them another shout out. There is a funny scene where they're doing like the groundbreaking at um, at the IHOP. You know where they like have like the fake golden shovel and you know put it in mm-hmm. the ground and all take pictures. And one of the kids turns to the other one and is like, "These these adults need to get a life." And I'm like, "I I agree with you." So the interviewer asks, it's obvious in your works that you feel that Florida's natural beauty is being spoiled by developers. Are you optimistic or pessimistic about the future? Hyacinth says, I'm pessimistic about the future of the political process, which, thanks to the U.S. Supreme Court, will be further debased by big money from special interests. I'm optimistic about the future generation of citizen readers, from whom I get hundreds of letters. They're smart, they're not easily fooled, and they really, truly care about preserving the last wild places in this country. All right. The interviewer asks, what did you think of the film versions of Hoot and Striptease? (laughs) (laughs) Eisen says, I like the way Hoot turned out, although it would have been nice to have a bigger budget and half as many studio executives to deal with. A little side eye there. Okay. Striptease had some very funny moments, and Andy Bergman's original screenplay was really good. But in the making of any big Hollywood film, storylines and characters get changed. Novelists are much better off worrying about the next book they're writing instead of how a movie adaptation turns out. Not enough salad dressing. <laughs> I really hope note. I'm remembering that correctly. I, I wouldn't I bet like you against are. your memory. Final question here. Uh, the interviewer asks, will you ever retire? <laughs> and Hyacinth says, 
Writers don't retire. They just keel face first into the keyboard. If you're lucky, it happens just after you type the end. Okay, Carl. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, that's it. That's Carl Heisen. Well, thank you for those excellent facts. Awesome. All right. Well, that's Hoot by Carl Heisen. Three stars. Hoot, hoot, hoot. Hoot, hoot, hoot. Hoot, hoot, hoot. Um, Dylan, I hear that you are the game master this week. Yes. Oh, I heard that too on the text message thread that we all share. <laughs> it's from a little birdie. Uh, what game you got? A game called Viva la Evolucion. I did it for the point, actually. This is, does not have to do with evolution. It actually has to do with endangered and, more importantly, extinct animals. So Ooh. basically animals that were not there for animals that didn't have mullet fingers to protect them. That sadly mm-hmm. passed away. So okay. what you have to do is you have to tell me whether it was from direct human involvement. Some of these animals were literally hunted out of extinction. Other times, humans were just sloppy. But Oh, oh man, I ate the last one. Kind of, more like... <laughs> I ate five swans and now they're gone? <laughs> I burned all these trees down and now all these owls disappeared? Huh, weird. Weird. This is the most grim game that oh, yeah. anyone has ever come up with on this podcast. All right, so how do we play? So the way you play yeah. is you call in. Hello, it's me. Yep. <laughs> Say Viva. Okay, Viva. Viva. Okay. Viva. Okay. And then Viva you have and the a cho- Lord. And then you have a choice. You can either say direct or indirect. Okay. Or you can go for double and tell me what country was behind the... Um, direct or indirect extinction event. However, if you guess the country wrong, you lose a point. Okay. All right. So if you're a coward, you don't try to guess the country. The first one is the Pinerian Ibex. Um, me. Uh, Aviva. Barely. Uh, well, the Pyrenees are between France and Spain, I think. Um, I'm going to say it's indirect, and I'm going to say it's Spain. It was direct, but it was Spain. So no points because you're no points. You weren't a coward. Zero points for that. But you but you don't get you don't get minus points. Okay, so tell us about this this ibex. Basically, the Spanish hunted it for fun. For fun, the Caspian tiger. Viva, Toby. Direct India. You lose a point because (gasps) it is direct. It was hunted to extinction. The 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 Russian army hunted it to extinction. That's sad. Really, the abilities are all going to be sad. This game should be called That's Sad. <laughs> yes. The Molokai Creeper. That's the next one. The animal. The mo- the oh. Molokai Creeper. Um, Viva. Bailey. What, what is a creeper out of curiosity? But we can wait till after Bailey answers. I, I think it's like a sloth. Um, Paul Dano. <laughs> I'm going to say indirect because there hasn't been an indirect one. Okay. And uh, are you going to go for the country or are you just going to No, get I'm them? a coward. It is a bird. It is, a guess, a large thrush. And it's from Hawaii, and Americans uh, introduced basically a bunch of non-native mosquitoes uh, and deforestation have made it go extinct. It went extinct last year. Oh, that's sad. That's sad. The sea mink. I'm going to say viva. Andrew? I'm going to say direct, but I'm not going to answer a country. Seems okay. like something people would make into, like, coats. Yeah, it seems like uh, it seems like something mm. that would be hunted for fur. That is correct, and that it also is correct that it was hunted for coats. Uh-huh. Off the East Coast, because Americans did it. And more importantly, the last one was killed in 1880 near Jonesport, Maine. And for the last one, the Hispanolan edible rat. It went extinct for some reason. An edible rat went extinct? (laughs) (laughs) The sandwich rat. The edible rat. I mean, I'm going to say indirect Spain? 
That is correct. Oh. <laughs> and for an extra point, I would have taken Italian because it was Christopher Columbus's fault that this animal went extinct. <laughs> the species actually was driven to extinction, be introduced from old world rats. And there's an amazing mm. quote about how they tasted so delicious and the... Basically, we don't know a lot about this rat, except it tasted great. Let's um, not gloss over the fact that I won this terrifying and depressing game. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Andrew's okay. the saddest of us all. <laughs> Good job, Dylan. But you know what's not let's, depressing? Well, yeah, let's lift the spirits up with some some fun. You know what's not depressing? The choosing. Ah, yes, it's Ooh, time the for choosing. Dylan to choose books at random from our shelves. It's time for the choosing. Andrew, I bet you can't wait to get back home to your place in New York, right? You've been wanting to get it for so long. It's a number 40 in the dream house by Carmen Maria Machado. Oh, Ooh. that's exciting. I really like what I've read of hers before. So this is, I'm, oh, this is good. Okay, cool stuff. What about me? What about me? Yeah, what about well, Bailey? I mean, you haven't really good keeping up with us for so long. I know we're not as smart as you. Uh, yeah, that's right. That you've had to work <laughs> with us. This number 21, Confederacy of Dunces. By Patrick Kennedy oh. too. Ooh, a Parliament of Dunces. I'm excited. That's cool. I think this rounds out the last book that I took from my roommate 15 years ago. <laughs> um, I'm excited. I've never read this. Obviously, it's a classic. There was one high school student who I was teaching who was reading. It was like, "Have you read it?" And I was like, "No." And they're like, "Gave me a look like I'm smarter than the teacher." Ooh. So it's time for me to read it. <laughs> awesome. So that means okay. In two weeks on the podcast. Toby is reading Fingersmith by Sarah Waters, and I'm out, I'm going to try to read that one too, Toby, because that's also on my shelf. And I will be reading A Confederacy of Dunces by John Kennedy Toole. Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the To Read List Podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads, Instagram, and the Storygraph at the To Read List Podcast. And if you like what you heard, go to any number of places where you can rate and review, particularly Apple Podcasts, and please leave us a rating and a review. It does weirdly help us bump up the scales, and it saves the owls from pancakes, I'm told, <laughs> from a reliable source. <laughs> and if you're a member of any kind of parliament, a, a political parliament, perhaps just a parliament of you and your friends, tell them all about um, this podcast. It really helps spread the word. Word of mouth is our best advertisement always. Uh, carries a little extra weight when your friend tells you, hey, I really love this podcast. You should check it out. So please tell your friends about us. Um, we really appreciate it when you do. It's I'm the secretary of, of state in my parliament. <laughs> <laughs> word of mouth and word of owl. Thanks to Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Dylan for sound recording, and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkee for composing our intro song. See you in two weeks. Happy reading. Books, books, books. 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 Hoot, hoot, hoot. Hoot, hoot, hoot.